All right, here we are. We are in week number three of this series called Toxic. Now, most of us in our lives at some point have had a toxic relationship, and sometimes we actually even knew that those relationships were toxic, and we knew that that relationship was leading us way away from God, and we knew. So we knew that friendship was toxic. It's kind of like we were deciding to jump into a swimming pool filled with battery acid, right? And we knew there was battery acid in there. We know that's not going to turn out very well. In this series, we're not talking about that kind of relationship, that kind of toxic relationship where we know the friendship is toxic. If we know that something is poison and we drink it anyway... Well, we don't have really anything that we can offer someone in a teaching series like this that can really help that scenario if we're to drink it and we know it. But in this case, we're talking about friends that we probably think those are healthy relationships. We think they're headed in the right direction, but somehow they have slowly, without notice, become toxic. And they're actually beginning to poison both of those friends and ultimately their relationship with God. And these friendships that we're talking about, they're not like jumping into a swimming pool filled with battery acid. No, no, no. This is more like drinking from a well. And we think the well is clean, and we don't know that under the surface, down in the ground, there's some kind of toxic waste slowly leaking into the water supply. We don't know what's happening. That's the kind of friendship we're talking about in this series, and we're hoping as we go through this that God can help us address that and give us some help. Now, Week one, we talked about how um, we looked at friends and we say, say that we, we often ask without asking, we expect that these friends will meet needs that only Jesus himself really can meet in our lives. It's needs like stability, security in relationships, a perfect companionship. Only Jesus can meet those needs. And then in week two, we said, but when we do look for friends to meet those needs in our lives and expect them to do that, then we have allowed that friendship and that friend to replace Jesus in our lives. And that means that they have and that friendship has become an idol to us. And that is toxic to us, and it's toxic to them as well, and it is toxic to our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus paid a very, very high price in order to allow us to become friends with God. And so, because of that, Jesus refuses to take second place in our lives. Jesus, we said last week, is either first place in our lives or Jesus is nothing in our lives. Now, for the next two weeks, we're going to move into a little bit of a different direction. We're going to be attempting to answer the question, okay, if friendship, and it has been, designed by God, then what is that meant to be? What is that meant to look like? How should that friendship function? For the next two weeks, we're going to look at that. We're going to have to rethink the way that we think about friendship because slowly toxic friendships that we have described for the past two weeks 
those friendships that our culture looks at and they say, yeah, that's a great hunting buddy friendship. That is a great BFF friendship. Probably not the hunting buddy, but probably two different scenarios there. But the culture around us says, yeah, those are great relationships. But we're going to invest the next two weeks into rethinking what friendships should be. I don't know about you, but I really want a friendship that's been designed by God. That's what I hope. Because friendship is not what our culture says that friendship is. Most of our culture has not experienced Jesus, and so Jesus changes the way that we view friendship. So I want to look at a snapshot that involves Jesus and it involves some friends. I love this story. It's a true story. It's written down as history from us, for us. And, and we find this in Mark chapter 2. <laughs> we're going to read through this and we're going to talk a little bit about it. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, Several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Now, this is not where Jesus grew up, but this was the home base operations, really, of Jesus when he was in the Galilean area after he became an adult and began his ministry. Two of his first, uh, among the first of, of his followers that he asked to follow him as a disciple were two brothers, Peter and Andrew. And so, it says, soon the house where he was staying, now that house we know from the New Testament, we know this is the house of Peter and Andrew. It's their family house. Their mother was probably still there, the family house. It says it was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door while he was uh, preaching God's word to them is what this, so this, this is what's happening. Jesus is there and it says, uh, now I want to hit pause for just a moment, McKinley, right here. Let me give you some now background. We know this is happening while this is happening, all right? We're going to get to this in a minute. But while Jesus is there speaking, something is happening in the town of Capernaum and here's what's happening. There's these four guys. They're all buddies, and they have a friend who is paralyzed. The friend can't walk, and, and, and so that's devastating in this day and age, in this culture. They had no way of really helping. He was pretty destitute apart from any help that he could get from these four friends probably. Now, these four guys are his friends, and they go to this guy who's paralyzed. And I can only imagine, because we don't have it quoted here, so I'm just going to just imagine them walking up to this guy and saying, listen, we have heard that Jesus is back in our town. And now this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, all right? So he has been doing some pretty miraculous things, and word is getting out. And I can only imagine that these four guys had either heard what Jesus had been doing, or they saw Jesus performing some miracles. And they thought to themselves, I have seen Jesus change people. That means I believe Jesus can change our buddy. And so the four friends get together and they go over to their buddy's place, wherever he is, and they load him up on a mat and they say, listen, 
I don't know a lot about this guy named Jesus. I don't know a whole bunch about him, but I know this. I have seen and heard that he changes people, and I think if we can just get you to Jesus, I think he can change you too. And that's what they do. They load him up. And now in verse 3, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. All right, now let's go now to a picture we have here on the screen. McKinley's going to put it up there. I'm going to step over here to the side. All right, there we go. Thank you, Ken, for fixing that. This is a picture, and I I know this sounds crazy, but archaeologists in Capernaum believe they have found the home of Peter and Andrew and, and their mother which was the home base. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons why they think that is the home, but this is, has been drawn based upon the floor plan that they saw that in their archaeological dig of this specific home. Maybe it's not theirs, I don't know, but they have a lot of reasons to believe it might be. So this is a drawing. Now, this whole little homestead here, you see the place with the stairs going up the side, that's the main That's the main house structure, but everything in that middle, I'm going to get my pointer here. I want you to see. So if you're at home, I'm sorry, you're not going to see this pointer, but here's the stairs going up. This is the main structure. Here's the gate where you come into the home right there. This is the courtyard that is just for that family, all right? These little building structures are probably barns and things like that. All right, so you've got the idea here. Here's the home. Now, in the first century homes... This is a typical setup. There's this stairway that goes up the side on the outside, but it's inside the courtyard, so they can lock themselves up pretty safe. But you notice it's a flat roof, and that is kind of a thatch roof that they make out of uh, uh, mud and clay and, and then other, other items to hold that together. So there we go. That's the flat roof. Now, so have in your mind this, Peter and Andrew's home, where their mother lives. And now let's go back to the story. Here we go. All right. It says, um, let's see. I think I advanced too far on this. There we go. It says, um, soon, let's see, where are we? Four men, verse three, four men carrying the paralyzed man on a mat, verse four, they could not bring him to Jesus because the crowd was uh, so much. It was, they were just everywhere. So I can just imagine we've got four men, one on each corner, and they're doing their best to carry. So they come this way, they go through the gate, and they can't get into the other door because there's so many people crowded around. I mean, I mean, there's four guys, five with the guy in the middle. They're trying to get through. Can't get through. So they go back, they go over here to the other door. They can't get in. And they're like, I oh, know, all this is for nothing. We loaded him up. We disappointed him. We told him there's a chance that he could be changed forever. And now we can't get him to Jesus. So you know what they do? They climb the stairs because they're already in the courtyard. They take the guy. Those are pretty narrow stairs. I don't know how they did it, but they did. They climb the stairs. They get up to the roof. They move across the flat roof. And they begin thinking, okay, Jesus is teaching right there. (laughs) And here's what they start to do. It's not their house. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, the head of Jesus. I can only imagine. They're starting to dig, and people inside listening to Jesus teach. I'm captivated, I'm sure. 
things start to fall down into their hair, into their beards, into their eyes. And I can imagine Andrew, the younger brother, looking at Peter, looking up, looking at Peter. Peter, Peter, what's going on? And then, then they begin to lower the man. Here's the, how the verse continues. They begin to lower, they dug a hole above the head of Jesus. They begin to lower the man on his mat. And so now Peter's looking up. He had ADD anyway, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Not the security system, whatever the attention problem is. He had it. And he's looking up, and now a man, the hole is so big, they could fit. I mean, they have ruined this roof. The hole is so big, a man starts to come down through on his mat. Now Peter's looking at Andrew. What? What is mama going to think? He comes down and they lower him right in front of Jesus. And I would love to hear how awkward that was. As Jesus stopped teaching. Verse 5. Seeing their faith. Whose faith? Seeing their faith. Was it the friend who was lowered in front of Jesus? No. Nope. It was their faith. The guys in the room? No. Andrew's faith? Peter's faith? Hey, we've got a giant hole. You've ruined our house. Their faith? No. Seeing their faith, the four guys who are now looking down through the hole in the roof, wondering, are we going to have to run away now? <laughs> Those four guys looking down through the hole in the roof, at Jesus. Jesus, seeing their faith, Jesus now, seeing their faith, Jesus now says to the paralyzed man, my child, you better go raise some money to fix this roof. <laughs> no. My child, your sins are forgiven. And it goes on to say this, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. This is after he has a little, uh, a little debate with some other folks. Jesus turns then to the paralyzed man, and he said to this paralyzed man, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, <laughs> grabbed his mat, and he strolled through the door with everybody looking on. And they were all amazed. And they all praised God, exclaiming, We have never, we have never seen anything like this before. Now, that's just our springboard for this topic. You see, friendship is not what our culture says that it is. And most of our culture around us has not experienced Jesus. And Jesus changes how we do friendship. Our friendship with God first. 
that was made possible because of Jesus. And Jesus changes all of our other friendships as well. And he changes those forever. Now, this guy, Peter, Jesus was in his house. The roof got ruined <laughs> because Jesus was there. This Peter, who is one of the closest friends that Jesus had among his disciples, he writes this letter to some believers. And this is after Jesus has died and he rose again and Peter now writes this letter. So the same guy that was standing in his house when Jesus was there, the roof was ripped open and these friends lowered and Peter saw because of their faith, Jesus said, I'm going to make a change in your life. All right. That same Peter, we're going to follow some things that he wrote for the rest of the morning. So in this letter, it's called 1 Peter, and we're going to look in chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 18, and I'm going to share some other verses out of the letter as well. Here's what Peter writes. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Now, basically he's saying you were lost, separated from God, you had no hope. But Jesus ransomed you, bought you back. And now Peter's getting ready to say, this is no small thing. This is no minimal cost that Jesus just dropped a few coins for you. No, 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 no. He said, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver, because you see, it cost God greatly to ransom you and to ransom me, to pay for that ransom. The sinless, exactly what it was. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless lamb. You see, he's getting ready to tell us this, that Jesus is not plan B. The plan for Jesus to come and redeem the broken world, the sinful world, the hurting world, which is me as well. That plan was not plan B ever. It was plan A before God ever created the world. Blows my mind, but that was his plan. He knew this world he was going to create was going to fall apart. Because of the actions and the behavior, the sin of the people who lived in that world. Here's what he says, verse 20. God chose him, that's Jesus, as your ransom long before the world ever began. Not plan B. Jesus was plan A before creation. Amazing. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. In other words, you guys that I'm talking to, he's saying to them, Many of you were alive and you saw Jesus. You heard about Jesus and he was still alive before he died. He's revealed him to you in these days. He goes on, verse 21. Through Christ, you've come to trust in God. In other words, that's the only way it happens is through Jesus. And you have placed your faith and your hope in God because God, he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Now, here's what Peter's saying. Without the resurrection of Jesus, meaning he walked out of that tomb, not as a ghost, resurrected, alive, heart beating, blood pumping. Without the resurrection, we have a dead God. 
which would be useless to any of us. But he's saying that's not what happened. (laughs) We have faith in God because Jesus did walk out of that tomb. Mm. Verse 22, you were cleansed from your sin when you obeyed the truth. What is that truth that we obey? Jesus told his disciples, his followers, if you want to come after me, here's what you got to do. Take up your own cross, deny yourself, and follow me. There's the truth. And you do that, you do that, you obey that truth, you are cleansed from your sin the moment you obey that truth. So now, he says, so that has happened, so now this. Notice how Jesus changes everything here. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. And not to a life that will quickly end. No, 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 no. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. My friends, Jesus changes everything everything. And he keeps on changing us. He even changes how we interact with friends. Here's what Peter goes on to say. Listen to this. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Boy, do I need more of that. Anyone who knows me knows. They know. They know, I, I, listen, I can say something and hurt somebody like that. And it's wrong. It is sinful. And Peter says, so think clearly and begin to exercise this thing, self-control, which is only possible because God's Spirit moves into your life if you're a follower of Jesus. He says, look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Now he's, he was talking about the first time Jesus came here. Now he's talking about this next time when Jesus is going to come. Verse 14. So because of all of that, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. He said, you didn't know any better then, but you know better now, Harley. My friends, he says, but now in verse 15, you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy for the scriptures say and they do this is Peter quoting scripture here you must be holy because I God I am holy so with that as our backdrop let's rethink friendship in light of Jesus So to begin this, let's rethink who gets our friendship, all right? Let's rethink who gets our friendship. You see, we're limited. We're human. We cannot be best friends or great friends with everyone. We just can't. We are limited. But we can be friendly 
to everyone. You know, as we go out and about, if you're a follower of Jesus, you might think in the back of your mind, well, okay, if I'm going to have to be careful about who my friends are, then I'm, I, I, I expect probably then all of my friends are going to be believers chasing after God. And I just want to say, if that's the case, then we are ignoring most of the people around us. We might as well be Amish. I would be a horrible Amish person. I don't know how to ride a horse. Thank you, John. <laughs> but Peter says, no, 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 not like the Amish. He didn't know what the Amish were. He said in his letter, he says, listen, I want you guys to live as foreigners in this land. This land that you're in, this is not our world. The worldview of the culture is not our worldview. But we are to live in this world as a foreigner with such love and such compassion. We are to live like Jesus with that kind of love, that kind of, uh, that kind of compassion. And when we do, it will impact not just our church family and our relationships here. No, no, no. It will also impact our friendships with people who are not yet following Jesus. Now, when it comes to investing more time into relationships and very specific friendships because not everyone can get all the same time of your time. The truth is we don't get to pick and choose among the people around us and choose to be better friends with the people we like. No. If we're going to do this like Jesus, we're going to offer friendship to whomever God places around us in this culture that does not follow Jesus. Not just the people we like, not just the people we click with, not just the people we get along with. In fact, the people that we clash with the most are going to force us to exhibit the true form of sacrificial love that Jesus had. And those people are not our projects to be fixed. No. They are people to be loved. So we need to rethink who gets our friendship. Here's the second thing. Let's rethink what it means for us to be a friend. I believe the greatest thing, the greatest thing that we can do for our friends is the same thing the four friends did for their paralyzed friend. Here it is. Whatever it takes to get them closer to Christ. Even if it means ripping off the roof. 
from the very beginning of our relationship with a person that is not yet pursuing Jesus, from the very beginning, we must begin to point them toward a friendship with Jesus. And we do that with kindness and compassion and understanding and love. But we must know in advance. The moment we tell them, lovingly tell them, kindly tell them that we have chosen to follow Jesus, that moment, which should be very early and very often in that relationship, that moment, it is going to be awkward and uncomfortable. Your friendship and my friendship has one real purpose, and that is to help that person walk closer to Jesus. And if I'm going to do that, then I have to do some work on Harley. You have to do some work on you and properly deal with our own neediness. Because if I don't deal with my own neediness, then I'm going to slowly turn that relationship into something else. I'm going to start using them to meet my own needs. But we talked about this in week one and week two. My needs must be met by Jesus first and foremost. With him in the very first place in my life. Remember. Remember this, always reach out when you're in need and I'm in need, reach out to Jesus before and for long enough before we ever reach out to a friend. If my goal is in this friendship is to help them walk closer to Jesus, then guess what? When that friend is in need. So I've got to deal with my needs first, and then I can deal with their needs. If my goal is to help that person walk closer to Jesus, I cannot run to that person as their Savior. I cannot run to that person because I, I as their Savior, I'm not their Savior. I am not their fixer. As much as we like to fix things for people, I am not that person's Savior. I can't try to be. I am not their fixer. I can't try to be. I'm not their problem solver. I cannot try to be because I need them to walk closer to Jesus who is their savior, is their fixer, is their problem solver, not me. If I try to make them dependent upon me, I am putting myself in the place of God. Peter goes on. He says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And he warns, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Now, 
Here's the next thing we need to rethink about friendship. With Jesus, we rethink how we are friends. Friends who are in it to give. Wanting something for that person, not something from that person. So what we have said this morning, what does all of that mean for us today? Because we're painting this picture of what friendship can begin to look like if Jesus were allowing him to change our friendships. So we're going to ask you to compare your, what we've been talking about with your current closest friendship. So all of what we've talked about this morning comes down to this. And I want to walk you through, as we, as we wrap this up today, I want to walk you through an opportunity for you to compare your friendships, me to compare my friendships with what a friendship should look like according to what we've talked about today. Now, I'm tiny section. You're going to have to listen to this again because there's going to be a lot of information in this little bitty tiny section. So in order to properly evaluate this the way we want you to, you might have to listen to this again, this section at least. So we want you to do that this week, but we're going to also do that right now, right here together this morning. Let's self-evaluate. Are these statements that I'm going to make, are they true of your friendships right now? What does a God-designed friendship look like, practically speaking? Taking what we have taught this morning and saying, okay, what does it look like in the real world? All right, here we go. Here's the first one. Self-evaluation. Don't raise your hand, don't nod, none of that. This is just internal self-evaluation. Here's the statement. Jesus is our security, not that person. So what does that mean to us practically? Here's what it means. We don't own that person. We cannot claim ownership on them as our friend. Yeah, we're friends. Close friends, maybe. But just for a season. Yeah, just for a season. That means we don't try to hang on to them for ourselves and keep other people away. No, that's not being a good friend, the way Jesus would want us to be friends, because they have become your security. You must have them and them alone and keep other people away in order for you to feel secure. No, 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 no. We can't do that. This means we don't try to hang on to them for ourselves, keeping other people away. No. In a practical way, this is what that means. It means we don't ask that person for a lifetime commitment to us. The only lifetime commitment that you are allowed, according to Scripture, to ask for, one, God offers you one with Him. Secondly, the only other one that can fill that in a human relationship, you have the right to ask for a lifetime commitment from your spouse. That's it. Not a friend. Doesn't exist. You're not asking them for a lifelong commitment of closeness and friendship. Because as life changes, that friendship changes too. And that's okay. That's the way it should be. If a single friend gets married, your relationship should change. It should not be the same. If a friend moves away, 
because we're talking about face-to-face, life-on-life. If a friend moves away, your relationship should change. It doesn't stay the same. We don't own them. Our commitments and our relationships with our friends, they do change, and that's okay. Here's the second self-test. Jesus is our ultimate companion. We are never alone if we're a follower of Jesus. So here's what that means. If we're never alone because of Jesus, then we don't need that person to cure our loneliness. And because of that, we can instead become interested in the lives around us, focusing on them, being interested in them, not worried about them fulfilling our loneliness. Rick Warren says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Another person said, we are free to be the most interested person in the room, not the most interesting. And we extend that interest in other people to new people around us, outside of our normal tribe. We don't get satisfied just focusing and being interested in the people that are like us. Here's the next self-test. Jesus gives me my significance. So, this is a tough one for me. So, I don't have to be offended when somebody takes a shot at me. If Jesus is the one who gives me my significance, I don't have to be hurt when somebody leaves me out. I don't have to be wounded when somebody wounds me. I can instead choose to be self-controlled because they have not harmed my significance if I allow Jesus to give me my significance. I don't know if you failed this one as miserably as I did. So just in case, let me give you another one. Maybe you'll fail this one. (laughs) I don't know. My hope is that you succeed. Here we go. Because Jesus is changing me, I must do everything I can to walk my... This is the big one. Just like the guys who carried their friend up to the roof and they tore that roof off so they could get their friend to Jesus. And that must characterize my friendships if I let Jesus change me. And I hope this week you will take this self-test again and have a conversation with God as you do it. Let's pray. Father, may we walk our friends to your son, Jesus. May we want something for them, Father, rather than from them. May you change their lives, and we ask that you continue to change ours. Amen.